All right. Hey, James, how you doing? Yeah, I'm not doing too bad. Haven't seen you in a while, pal. Yeah, it's been a while since we recorded one of these, but here we go. We're back at it, and uh, hopefully we got some nice golden nuggets. Oh, yeah. Actually, of course we do. We're guaranteed some golden nuggets because you've uh, you've been very prolific recently, writing a couple more blog posts. Oh yes, trying at least. Let's uh, let's talk about um, unknown generalizations, I guess first. Uh, mm, okay. That one's a little bit shorter, right? Yeah, that's a shorter one. The reason why I'm doing it like this. I'm trying to follow in Annie Matushek's footsteps. There we go. There's the mention <laughs> where each of these each of these notes are atomic. You know, because I want to be able to build a complex structure with each of the notes being able, like their own encapsulated thing. Okay. So if you read if you read the notes together, it builds a big picture, and each individual piece, which is each of the articles or the notes, contributes to that. And that came out of a, a recent note-taking practice that I've been using, which is not traditional note-taking. It's like it's like what Annie Matushak talks about, or that Zettelkasten system, where it's supposed to help you think better. And for me, it's absolutely done that. And I kind of did it out of necessity because I felt like all of my progress in terms of my thinking about formulation and generalizations, it all kept being erased because I was not keeping track of my thoughts and my ideas. So whenever I would make a breakthrough in my mind, I would not capture it on paper or in any kind of system. Mm. So I would just lose it. And I was never actually making progress. And I, I just got so upset at this because I've been trying to implement a consistent note-taking system for ages, but I haven't done it. And now I just need to do it. Otherwise, I'm not going to make progress. So these blog posts and this one on generalization and uh, the, uh, the next one, they're all going to be in a series of things that come out of a note-taking practice to help me think better about these things and advance my ideas and not reset every single time because I keep forgetting the, the ideas. So anyway, exactly, that's yeah. the whole point of this. No, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, go um, I think we talked about it the other day that uh, it's important to have some sort of note-taking practice so you can compound your ideas over time rather than them just decaying uh, with your memory, you know? Because often yeah. when you have a good idea, you think that you'll remember it over time because it's very clear to you in that moment. But a lot of your right. ideas will just de decay like any other piece of information that you try and learn. So it is important, I think, to have some sort of note-taking uh, system. And so the first of these articles that came out recently was your one called Unearned Generalizations Are Less Applicable. So can you like right. summarize it for us? Yeah, so I, I've, I've noticed a problem within myself and other people do this too, where you'll listen to an expert speak of something and they will say what is actually a generalization, but you think it's an interesting piece of information to learn. Mm -hmm. So you take it on and you act as if you now have earned that generalization. And by earned, I mean generalizations are supposed to be the result of a deeper study. And a generalization comes out of that. So you learn a bunch of facts and you go, oh, here's a generalization to summarize all of these facts that I've learned, right? So that would, that would be what it looks like to earn a generalization. You put in the effort to learn the underlying information that then results in a generalization. So the, the notion I'm putting forward is that when you take on an unearned generalization, which is to say, I give you a generalization that I earned, and then you just take the generalization itself 
and act as if you earned it, right? And I don't mean that in a malicious way. People just mm. do this innocuously. Mm. But when you act as if you've earned an unearned generalization, you assume that you will get the applicability that the original earner got. But it's really not true. And in the post I gave this example, there's this doctor who writes books, and he's a very good doctor. His name is Eric Topol, and he wrote a book on AI in medicine. And I had listened to a podcast episode on Sam Harris, and he was on there, and he had mentioned that IBM's Watson, the supercomputer that they built to play Jeopardy, well, it wanted to do more than play Jeopardy. It wanted to, like, be a doctor replacement in a kind of way, help with diagnoses, this kind of thing. Okay. And I had heard him say, oh, well, Watson failed miserably. It didn't really, it's, it's still not good at medicine, even a decade later, and it didn't really work out. And so Watson sucks, you know, it, it failed at being a doctor. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought, oh, that's really interesting information. But I didn't know why it failed. I didn't know in what way it failed. I didn't know what approach they took. I didn't know if they were going to abandon the project, if they were going to mm -hmm. take a different approach, or if other people were taking different approaches and having better success, or if there's something inherently difficult about the problem they were trying to solve, or the general progress of AI and medicine, or any of these things, which Eric Topol himself would have known. But the problem is, I assumed that I would know these things because I stole this generalization, and I just go, oh, that's interesting information. I'll just have that for myself, and I'll be able to, you know, use this in a fruitful way. But it's actually not true. That's the problem with generalizations. Very nice. Yeah, I, I really like the phrase uh, unearned generalizations and earned generalizations as well. I see a lot of people using it in the uh, in the Discord now. You know, I've heard it come mm. up in conversation. It's like it, it's, it's funny how fast uh, this sort of thing spread, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I really like this post. It's it's short, but it encapsulates a lot of um, really important information uh, about generalizations and abstractions and everything. Uh, so one thing I noticed was like, basically when you have a generalization, uh, a generalization isn't really like an individual thing. It's more like a network, you know, because the difference between you uh, reading that generalization from Dr. Was it Topol, maybe? Topol? Yeah, yeah. Topol. <laughs> yeah, you reading that uh, generalization, it's like, because perhaps it's on something that you don't know a whole lot about, it's just like an orphan uh, piece of knowledge that isn't uh, relatable to any of your prior knowledge. So it sort of exists in a sphere on its own inside your mind. But perhaps to the doctor, it's his generalization is more like a bundle of generalizations all related to each other somehow so he has like this structure in in his mind where that one generalization just occupies one single like node in a bigger network all connected together um yeah i say in the article the generalization acts merely as an anchor for his knowledge and reasoning about things like current ai in medicine and those kinds of things so yeah, i view it exactly. as kind of an anchor it's like a it's like a starting point it helps you keep everything together it's something to attach the raw facts to yeah yeah it made me think about uh just learning in general and the difference between semantic and rote or asemantic learning and like sort of like the difference is that if you 
learn something and it's not relatable to your prior knowledge in any way, then it's rote, right? Because mm, you can't relate right. it in any way to anything you already know. So it's kind of just right. sitting there on its own in your mind and you can't relate it to anything. Um, but when you have a generalization and earned generalization, it's more like semantic learning where you can relate it to your prior knowledge in some sense. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think the core problem is a lot of people are assuming that they can get good learning by capturing the generalizations of others because of the earned words. I, I'm tempted to say stealing, but yeah. obviously, <laughs> obviously it's not meant, it's not meant in a negative way like that. But in a way, it's like you're not really gaining much value. I mean, I suppose it's okay to steal someone else's generalization if you're also doing the work and maybe you go further than they can because you're able to take what they had mm. in a way. So, you, so it's just faster progress for you or you end up in a different place. I don't know about that. I haven't done enough deep thinking, but yeah, I've just noticed this pattern in myself and I've mentioned this before, but this goes along with another game that I play in my own mind, which is, you know, spot the generalization. Oftentimes I think the difficulty in making items is when you're trying to make items from a generalization that you don't realize is a generalization. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you might be reading a biography of somebody this happened to me. This is why I'm bringing this example. You might re be reading a biography of somebody, and it kind of starts out by saying, you know, such and such was a was a kind-hearted person, and everyone knew it, right? You might think that's a that's not a generalization, but it is. That's a generalization the authors made. They've looked at all this person's life events, and they go, oh wow, they tend to be a kind person, and people tend to think of them as a kind person. Mm. But that's a generalization across all those all those facts, and so. This relates because I think a lot of people have difficulty making good items. And I think some of that difficulty comes from trying to make items from a generalization that you don't yet realize is one. So this unearned generalizations thing goes along with that mental game I play. Mm, okay. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Like, it's, it's difficult, especially when you're a beginner, to know when it's like safe you know, <laughs> silly to say safe, <laughs> to, if, if it's safe to take a generalization because you don't know whether that it's a generalization from like 99% of cases are like this. So we make this generalization because it covers 99% or if it's a generalization right. that only covers like 60%. And knowing the distinction between those two requires a lot of time in the field or someone to tell you, like an expert to tell you, okay, you're safe learning this because it covers 999,000 possible, uh, you know, uh, choices or whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you can't, in a lot of ways, you can't know that in advance. And as you say, as you get better at learning itself and spotting these different things, you can have some sense of, okay, this one is okay. I don't need to know the details of it. As long as I just have the result of someone else's thinking here, that will be enough in this case. But in a lot of cases, that's not true. So it's important to to continually sense that and um, and think of all these things. And I was also thinking of it in when you're incremental reading. There's all kinds of self check-ins you have to perform mm. about you know things like your energy levels and uh, your comprehension and your enjoyment and these kinds of things. And 
And um, to me, these, this generalization type of stuff is maybe just another one of those self-check-ins. Like, why, why am I finding difficulty in making items here? Those kinds of things. And I'm, I'm trying to do a lot more writing about that and what makes, uh, what makes items difficult to formulate well and those mm. kinds of things. And I also want to do more thinking about what is the real utility of a generalization? Assuming, like, if you do the, the learning of something... And then you derive a generalization, mm. and then you forget the facts, but you re- remember the generalization. Yeah, you earned it, but is the is the value still there in some sort of ineffable way? You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, that's because a good I, I don't know. I mean, most people don't they don't use SRS, so they don't remember all the facts, mm. but they do remember a lot of generalizations. You know, like Eric Topol, I'm quite sure in some years, probably wouldn't be able to recall all of the reasons he came to the conclusion, oh, Watson sucks at being a doctor, you know? I'm sure of that. At least I'm pretty sure of it, unless he's actively reviewing that information. But I'm sure he'll remember the generalization. And so, is it does it still maintain its utility? And I want to do more thinking about that, because right now I'm kind of thinking of generalizations as an anchor point, sort of like an entry point for all of your information about that. And it's, it's a unitized, packeted up bundle of your information, like you say, that helps you reason in real time without having to think of all the individual facts. Mm. But it's still supported by those facts. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a really interesting topic because you can go so deep with it because it ties directly to, like, what is knowledge? What is, <laughs> how do we know about the world and that sort of thing? So it can get really metaphysical right. and stuff um and yeah I, th- I feel like you're making a distinction between facts and generalizations but i wonder if right. everything can be considered as a generalization in some sense you know it's mm. um yeah i don't know maybe i need to just do some more deep thinking it's, it's difficult to uh to express um but but yeah, <laughs> yeah a like... lot of these topics are really difficult to express that's why dude if anybody's listening to this and you don't have a note-taking practice it, I've, I've been saying for years just kind of parroting this back oh note writing helps you think you know writing helps you think writing helps you think i've just been saying that i've heard people say that so many times but i had never fully committed to a, a good note writing practice so I was never experiencing it myself, but I, I kept parroting this back. But it really is true. I now see so clearly, and it was bothering me actually because I want to represent. I want to represent in items what my experience has been like, but I'm struggling to do it. But now I see so clearly that note taking is thinking, and it can mm-hmm. actually help you think so much more clearly. So if you're listening to this and you don't have a note taking practice actually help advance your thinking and not not erase all of your progress on your problems you're trying to solve it could be any problem then i highly recommend that you start taking notes in some form and uh it, it would be extremely fruitful for pretty much everybody i think anyway, yeah, yeah i want to do some more deep thinking about this generalization stuff yeah 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 i was just thinking then like um obviously like the, the whole purpose of generalization is to uh basically save energy or save space in your mind because it's so costly to remember it's much more costly to remember every uh instance 
of a generalization right. rather than just right. the generalization itself. And I feel like hum as humans, we always have the, uh, we're always sort of pushing towards uh, getting the most for our energy or, or whatever. We're right. trying to save as much energy uh, expenditure because the brain obviously uses so much of our metabolic resources. It's something like a quarter. So mm. I feel like um, we tend to generalize so much just because it's uh, really efficient. But also what you're saying about whether uh, Dr. To Tobol would remember the particular instances as well and the facts. I think maybe he would just because when you have these generalizations and they're very stable in your mind, um, you can sort of have facts that gain stability in your mind by their relation to a certain generalization, if you know what I mean. Right. So right. almost by, by having lots of generalizations, you're able to cling on to more of the particular things as well, just because they're related to the generalization, which is much easier to remember. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, and it relates to something we've talked about before about, you know, each individual item that you review, although it might be atomic in itself, it's helping hold up some kind of background structure. So maybe yeah. the generalization is the structure, and the items obviously in reinforce that every time you review it, because although you think you're just reviewing that item, maybe you're also reviewing the generalization and increasing its stability. So yes. especially if you use SM combined with generalizations, I think that's golden. Beautiful. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, and, uh, sorry, you go ahead. Yeah. I was actually going to, I was actually going to transfer on to the next one because it really relates to something you said about conserving energy, because the reason I wrote this next article formulation fun, the, the, this series of articles will be basically exercises for myself to improve, deliberately improve, deliberately practice my formulation skills. And it relates to what you were saying because it came out of, you know, it's a it's an obvious thing to say now that the brain, if you repeat a behavior sufficient number of times, it pretty much gets back it gets transferred to the background. So you mm -hmm. don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to deliberately practice formulation to such a degree that even intense thinking about it, like the thinking that went into this article, mm -hmm. is transferred to the background and I can just see information and my brain just does this. You know, I had this experience. Uh, I, I'm i pretty good at Sudoku puzzles. And like when I was, I don't know, 15 or something, I just really wanted to get good at these Sudoku puzzles. So I would, I would do a few of them every day. And eventually I just got so good at the Sudoku puzzles, I think I... I have, I beat the official world record. I don't, I don't have the world record. I don't have the world record. But what I could find, and the world record for an easy Sudoku puzzle, I, I beat that record. I have the record for the Sudoku puzzle. And that's not a brag. I honestly think anybody could do it. It's a very easy thing to do. But what's, what surprised me about it was that when you start doing Sudoku puzzles, it takes, whatever, 10 or 15 minutes and every number you get, you're having to think through it. You know, you're having to process and go, oh, you know, those numbers are there, so it can't go here and all this, right? It, it takes time. It takes conscious effort. Uh -huh. And what started to happen to me was over time, after doing a sufficient number of Sudoku puzzles, I would look at a Sudoku puzzle 
and I would just know what a bunch of the numbers were. Mm. I couldn't even feel any processing. I would just look at it and I could just see, oh, that's where the numbers go. I don't, I couldn't tell you what happened there. I, I don't know the procedures that went into it, but something happened in the brain where it, it moved those conscious processes to the background so I could think about other stuff. I could have a chat while I'm doing a sort of puzzle, all that yeah. stuff. And I think anybody can do that. I'm really not trying to brag. It's not a, it's not a great skill. It's not a cool party trick to be able to do a Sudoku puzzle really fast. But I want to do the same thing with item formulations. So I can produce really, really high quality items that are well thought out in the background. You know, I don't want to have to go through all these, all these thinking, all this thinking, because one of the things I was concerned about with this article was, and if you have any questions about it, I'm sure the people listening would have similar questions, so you could ask those. But one of the things I was concerned with this article was people would think that I go through this conscious thinking process every time, and yeah. that's not true. Much of this stuff is automated. I just noticed, oh, you know, whatever, the phrasing is too complex here, and I just rephrase it in a way that comes automatically to me. I'm not mm -hmm. doing conscious thinking of this. But I want to make that even more severe. I want to make it so I can produce even higher quality items that are even more abstract, even more atomic. Obviously, you can't be more atomic or less, but you know what I mean. And I want to see how far I can take that. And these articles are a deliberate attempt to practice item formulation deliberately. Obviously, I don't meet all the standards of deliberate practice because I don't have a coach. I wish I, I, wish I had an item formulation coach. <laughs> <A> formulation coach. <laughs> Eventually, it'll happen. I have faith. Yeah. That eventually, <laughs> one day, this will be so popular that there will be item formulation coaches, just like there are people that teach people to write and all kinds of things like that. <laughs> That's awesome. Maybe in the year like 2070, they'll look back at us and think, how did they manage without their formulation coaches? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How did they do it? <laughs> no, I, I really. Anyway, like so that's um, the goal of these articles. Okay, okay. Yeah, awesome. I, I mean, I can't wait for it to become a series. Uh, I, I really like the first one. Uh, mm, thank you. So, one of the first, I think it's the first paragraph or so. Um, I really like this because you start off just by making the relations or relationships between the different concepts and objects within that. I think mm. it was two sentence part from Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. You you just pull it yeah. apart and make all of the relationships between the different bits of the sentence as obvious as possible. Because when you rearrange and rewrite sentences like that to make the relationships explicit, it makes them a lot easier to mm. formulate as items. Um, and that sort of made me think about uh, different kinds of writing and how relationships between concepts and objects are expressed in different types of writing. And so at one end of the spectrum, there's like mathematics, which is literally like a method of quantifying relations between objects, mathematical objects in, in maths. And then mm. the, on the other side of it, mm. there's like literary writing where you're expressing relationships between people, characters, you know, sort of more complex, implicit relationships that are expressed over paragraphs rather than in an atomic formula, like in maths. Um, mm. But yeah, mm. I just, I started to think a lot about uh, relationships and how relationships between concepts is, and like 
encoding them in an item is essentially what we're doing when we're doing SRS. Yeah, that's and that's the way I was kind of thinking of it because one of the issues that I see people have is that they view the writing as somehow part, like the writing to mm. me doesn't matter. All I care about is the ideas being expressed. Yeah. If I can capture the ideas, I'll reword it any way I want. I'll get rid of anything extra. All I care about is the ideas and the relationship. So if I can strip away any excess stuff that was written that doesn't contribute to those pieces, then I'm fine with doing that. And I think one of the difficulties people have with making items is that they treat it like they have to remember the the particulars of the phrasing, when in reality that's not what the point is. You want to remember yeah. the relationships between things. And that's one of the reasons I decided to break it up in the way that I did was to just simplify it and say, here's the things that this is saying and not anything extra, you know? And this was a particularly easy example because there wasn't too much extra in it to begin with. But I want to increase the difficulty there and add a bunch of extra stuff. Hopefully I can tackle certain philosophical ideas and these kinds of things and try and break that up in a similar way and just capture the relationships because that's the only part that matters. When you're talking about making items, that is all that matters. The relationships, the associations between concepts and ideas, that's it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that's a great point. Like, there are lots of uh, things that aren't like that aren't essential to the relationships that might be in the sentence. Mm. So, just extra words that are added for that, that sort of change the meaning of the sentence in a way that doesn't uh, influence the nature of the relationship between uh, concepts mm. or objects. And that weirdly it, it reminded me of something I read in my uh, just incremental reading. Just something about the mathematician Leibniz, uh, he had this uh, idea for a new language that was going to be like totally concept-based and it would sort of be like maths. <laughs> so <laughs> you'd uh, just express relations between ideas using this sort of math-like language. And the idea was that anything you anything you said would be able to be checked, sort of like, like a proof mm. checker in math or whatever. <laughs> and so you wouldn't mm. be able to, any argument would just be reduced to solving a couple of formulas and then you'd know who was right and who's wrong or something like that obviously, <laughs> yeah. obviously it hasn't, uh, that's amazing yeah it hasn't come to fruition yet but maybe in the future but yeah it's funny oh if only sometimes i do um like use symbolizations yeah that sounds stupid i'll use symbols in place of words <laughs> to make yeah, to make things yeah. more terse more abstract and just like simpler to read like sometimes when the hint of a close item is increases or decreases i'll just write plus minus mm. you know and i'll use that same oh nice okay yeah i'll use plus minus for high low bigger smaller because they all represent the same uh just the same difference between big and large small right, yeah, I, i'm right. not explaining very well but you, you know what i mean in, intuitively I, yeah i know exactly what you mean and, and what's weird is i've never i've never thought of that even one time so that's mm. very interesting i might try that mm. yeah that's a very interesting idea yeah yeah I, i've been uh i thought a lot a while ago about adding more of those symbols but i don't know i guess uh, back then i the reason i didn't do it was because i wanted to share like my items and i thought mm. that by adding in mm. all of these symbols it makes it much more difficult to share items with other people but i guess 
now I'm less concerned with that just because my ideas regarding the value of items and sharing them with others just changed. I don't think it's as useful to right. share those sorts of items, but so maybe, yeah, maybe I'll add more of these weird wacky symbols. In. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I noticed I was, I was playing around in the advanced English collection because I wanted to get some ideas about formulation mm. and they use all kinds of abbreviations for things mm. like they're not symbols explicitly, but they're kind of like symbols and that they're just a shorter way to transfer the information like you know this is like something is sth or whatever or you know they have all kinds of abbreviations like that so yeah yeah i think developing a shorthand for yourself and especially with symbols like that that's really smart and i also think it makes the items more applicable because increases decreases is more of a hint than plus minus i think yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, like at least the way i conceptualize it so anyway that's very interesting but yeah i think um Another reason I, I broke these up is because, and we alluded to this already, have you ever heard that Kent Beck quote, uh, make the change easy, then make the easy change? I've not heard that quote, but it is good. <laughs> yeah, it's about coding, It's and he, he's a programmer, and I think he's written some refactoring books. Okay. And the the idea relates to refactoring, you know, make the change mm -hmm. easy, easy, then make the easy change. And it's obviously, and I think he even says... In the original tweet, um, you know, this will be hard or something. Like, after he says, make the change easy, he says, this will be hard, mm -hmm. right? And that'll be hard. But once you make the change easy, then you make the easy change. And I felt the same way about these items. I was making the change easy. I was making it easy to make the items by rephrasing these things and pulling these ideas apart. And then everybody would look at those and go, oh, those are easy items to make. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's... That's what I think. I think it's possible to do that with all information. And I want to really get good at that and convey that idea to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just step one, refactor it to make the relationships explicit. Then you start making your items right. and it'll be a lot easier. Right, exactly, exactly. And when when all the relationships are made explicit in, in clear, plain language, then it's really easy for you to pick oh, here's what I want to learn from this, or here's what I don't care about. and Because I, I think that's one of the other major problems that people have with formulation. Mm. It's like, how do I formulate this, right? People will say that all the time. And I go, well, what do you want to learn? And they go, I don't know. You know? <laughs> and I think, that's one, I think that's one of the biggest problems with formulation because you're not being very clear about what you want to learn. So how can you expect to make items when you don't even know what you want to make items of. Yeah, and yeah. so I think that's another utility. It removes that difficulty of deciding what you want to learn because all of the relationships and all the relevant concepts are being made really clear in plain language, no excess terms. You can see the associations. You can say, I pick this one, I pick that one. This holds it together like glue. Here we go. And it's yeah, very yeah. easy to make items. Precisely, yeah. Okay, so now yeah. let's say we've gone through the refactoring process uh we've got these reformulated sentences that we want to remember now mm. uh, one thing I, I i noticed which was really interesting was um there's an example here so the question is the amygdala deals with um wait one second we do know yeah the amygdala it was like the question is the amygdala 
the part of the brain deals with automatic slash deliberative processing. So the question is, is the, uh, does it deal with automatic or deliberative processing? And one thing you said right. is we don't know whether the old brain, brain regions, so like the amygdala, we don't know whether they deal exclusively with automatic processing or whether they might have other, you know, functions as well. So you can't make that item. Right. You can't make the item because right. it might be false. And the reason right. it's false is because the cardinality of the relationship is ambiguous. Mm. There could be potentially like a one-to-many relationship between the amygdala and things it's, it deals with. So rather than right. just having either automatic or deliberative processing, it could also be uh, responsible for a whole bunch of other functions. So many, it, it has a relationship like between itself, one, and many like right. other functions uh, that it could Yeah, out. exactly. Right. So by, if you had made that item, it would be like a massive overgeneralization uh, to say that it only deals with either automatic or deliberative processing. And so, yeah, mm. the whole point I want, it's really hard to explain that. I bet people listening are just going to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> no, I think Guys, people get it. They'll get it. They're smart people. Skip back a couple of minutes, open the article, <laughs> read it at the same time. I was, I was talking about that. Um, yeah. It's just this whole thing about the cardinality because you can have mm. like one-to-one relationships and one-to-many relationships. And when you have a one-to-many relationship, you have to be really careful about how you uh, create, how you formulate the item, because when there are many different answers um, to a different, to a single question, then it's really difficult to uh, remember that over time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really important point. You have to be, you have to notice what's being said. And I think that's another advantage of making everything clear. Put it in plain language, make the association clear, make the concepts clear. Then you'll see what's actually being said, and you can know what items you can make and what items you can't. And one of the curious points there to me was, not only do you have to be careful there, but when you are careful, it reveals to you, almost almost in a procedural way, where the holes in your knowledge are. Mm -hmm. So theoretically, if you are making these items, you could go, oh, I don't know whether the amygdala deals exclusively with automatic processing or whether it also deals with deliberative processing. You can just go look that up, right? Because you've recognized the hole in your knowledge through in the process of making items. And then you just go figure that out. And assuming it's relatively straightforward, you could figure it out. Maybe you could then say, oh, it primarily deals with automatic stuff, but not exclusively. So you could then make items out of that, right? And what's interesting to me there is this kind of thinking, structuring items this way, and I've I've been saying this to people for years, and I, I haven't done enough deep thinking about it. But thinking about information such that you can formulate items out of it deepens your understanding because you have to think of it in, in this weird way. You're deepening your associations with it by way of making items from it. And I really think that's a huge value of making items from information, even if you never review them. I think the act of making items deepens your understanding and reveals places where you're missing information. A really great point. Like, uh, during the process of, like, noticing that the cardinality of the relationship would make it really difficult to have that item. 
and then uh like going on to google about more information about it that's like another mm. way that the act of making items sort of improves your understanding of the world like yeah i yeah. think that's a really good point um yeah i think it's a really useful skill for for that reason alone even if you never review it yeah yeah exactly um yeah so another question where uh, this was sort of expressed again is like list the regions of the brain involved with automatic processing and if you mm. if you just have that question and you expect a list of all the regions involved with automatic processing as the answer again it's <laughs> like a one-to-many relationship where the many could be like mm. 10 plus items and we all know like when you try and remember lists like that it's just like <laughs> it's impossible um so rather than doing that you you sort of control the complexity of the one-to-many relationship yeah. in the next in in, your, in the example you give under it you say name an example of a brain region which is involved with uh involved in automatic processing of information and then in the answer right. there's a list of four different regions that, or three different regions amygdala basal ganglia cerebellum i hope i'm saying all those right mm. and then just one yeah, one of those saying. answers would count as getting the question right and so you've turned it from a one-to-many into a one-to-one -one relationship between the question and the answer. Mm. And so I, I really right. feel like that that's definitely something that I've struggled with in the past, just being able to formulate the question so you target uh, like one answer or like if there are multiple answers that could be possible, then you accept just one of them because it's much easier to I don't know. It's it's so impossible to remember these lists that you just always want to avoid them. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think it captures three things there. One of which is what you said is it's really hard to remember the lists. Like you can just try it for yourself. Just try to remember a list of ten items or twelve items or fifteen. And if some years pass, it's really hard. Mm. But um, so that's one problem. Another problem is this is an incomplete list. I don't actually know every single brain region that deals with automatic processing i mm. that that snippet that i'm working from doesn't give me that information so i simply don't have it and another thing another thing this clears up and i think a lot of people miss this and i certainly do on occasion as well you have to think to yourself when in life would it be useful for me to remember every single brain region <laughs> that deals with automatic processing is yeah. there ever, does, does such a situation even exist? Yeah. And I think the answer, at least for most of us, unless you're like a neuroscientist or something like that, uh -huh. it probably, the answer is no. Even then, I, I have a hard time believing that you would need to be able to list from memory every single region. Oh, so this you is have so to funny. think to yourself, is that list even useful? It's so funny to hear this from uh, someone who was homeschooled because I immediately thought of exams. And I guess since you never had to do them, you just never thought of it. But the only, yeah, literally. Oh, yeah, that's. The only time I can uh, think of needing to know a list is in an exam. And that's why it's so frustrating that um, we, we need to have formulation experts in charge of the exams. Mm. If we even have exams at all. <laughs> they don't understand that the complexity of um, learning lists or like permutations or whatever. It's so difficult. Uh, mm. And it's so like it's the the cost is so high, and 
you try and explain this to a teacher, they will never understand. If you try, like, <laughs> you wheel out your uh, uh, SRS, like, statistics and you show them, like, how much time you spent learning a lesson compared to whatever, they'll, they'll never get it. It's hopeless. So, right. yeah, it, it's, it's really annoying that um, I often see those, uh, like, in chemistry or biology, you have metabolic pathways you mm. have to learn. And it's just insane. Mm. Expecting someone to mm. maintain, like both it's it's because you're you're remembering both information like just some fact but you're also having to remember the the sequence as well and i think that that just increases the complexity so much it's like yeah it's very po it's it's easily possible to remember facts from a book but if you try mm. to remember mm. like the order of the sentences in the book <laughs> it's it's just impossible <laughs> yeah exactly and that man remembering lists is hugely difficult it's funny because i actually didn't even think of the school example like yeah. you say i've never i've never no one's ever asked that of me i'll remember a list I, that's mm. happened to me zero times my whole life yeah so i didn't even think of it but i guess that is a case i mean obviously if you're talking about the usability of knowledge that's separate from what's required on an exam and to be frank there are some situations where i could see memorizing a list actually being useful you know if you're a doctor and Somehow you have to remember the symptomatology of some disease or something. I could see how that's actually useful. But, mm. you know, in a way, it's it could be made into coherent information. And also, you've decided that you, you're willing to go through the effort to remember a list. And not everything is like that. But I think people make this mistake of assuming that every list they see that contains any valuable information is therefore worth being remembered in its entirety. Which I think mm. is just so stupid, dude. Nobody yeah. can list to you all of the like to give this example nobody can list you all the brain regions deal with automaticity right yeah. that would be crazy there are so many brain regions and if you break it up into the sub regions and all this who's going to be able to list everything probably nobody i mean maybe yeah. a few people but what's the use of it even and that's one of my annoyances when you add multiple components to an item you're taking away the atomicity of it which is reducing its utility in my in my view because Atomic items are like building blocks, and the bigger something is, the fewer things you can build with it. Right? Isn't that obvious? Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I kind of don't like that. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe part of it is that when you see a list, it's obvious, or it appears obvious to you where you should be putting the closes, you know? Like, if you see a list mm, and it's like right. one, two, three, four, five, then you know, then you're like, oh, this, this, is, this would be nice and easy for me to just closes by just closing the first dude that's exactly one. right that's yeah. exactly right yeah and i've been writing about this i've 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 termed it for now and i don't really like this phrase but i've called this hunting for closables yeah very nice, very nice. <laughs> I, I think i think it's a disease i think many are stricken by by this ailment yeah. of continually hunting for closables yeah perfect i love that i love that that's great yeah yeah <laughs> Especially when you're when you're new, and if you just see a sentence, sometimes it is difficult to know where to put the close. But obviously, when you see a list, you're like, "Oh my god, yes, I can just close each right. line." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's such an anti-pattern, dude. It's mm. it's basically switching the focus of learning from actually learning and understanding things to what can I make items of? Yeah, right. That's such a you don't want to think that. The primary focus should be. What can I understand? And then once you've captured a new piece of understanding, then make items. It doesn't matter 
what word is closable or what's not. It's about what what can I understand, and of the things I now understand, what do I want to remember? I think many people are reversing this, and, and I don't think that's good. So yeah, I definitely think the closability of a list, it's so it's so easy, it's so attractive if, if you just go, oh, look at all those items. Mm. There's five items in this list. I can make five closes at least. Yeah, and if yeah. I do overlapping closes, I can make 30 or whatever it is. Yeah. I hate oh, those overlapping closes, dude. There's so many of those items. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah Have you yeah. seen that Anki plugin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it. I can... There's uh, so many items from one list. Exactly, exactly. I think it is that that one plugin. that There are good uses for it. Well, good-ish. I mean, mm. um, I remember, like, having to remember like speeches in in mm. school or whatever maybe if you have some presentation and you right. and you don't want to freestyle it although now i, th- I feel like it's right. better to freestyle but if you really did want to remember mm. like some important speech using that that style of overlapping closes is really useful because mm. when you're doing a speech obviously the sequence the order of the words that you're saying is, is very important so <laughs> um if you need to cram for a speech then I would mm. recommend you to go and use the close overlapper. But it's just like for most other situations, oh, I just can't see it ever being that useful. Again, the, the only other... Yeah, it's um, very rare. The only other application I can think of is like learning a song or learning a poem. It's stuff where you need right. to recite it word for word, like in sort mm. of a rote way. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I, I just want to make it clear. There are some valid use cases for remembering a list and sometimes you literally have to in order to make the information useful and i'm not saying it's never useful i just think people really overestimate the average utility of lists and they think that any list which contains any information would therefore be useful to remember completely which i think is really silly you know i i think just reevaluate and go when am i going to be asked in real life to remember this and maybe if you're about to take an exam you you are but beyond that is this ever going to be actually useful and mm. again there are plenty of cases like you say where you're trying to remember a speech where it would be but most things it's just people deluding themselves and thinking oh this would be a useful item or oh it would be really cool to be able to remember all these things mm. it's like yeah but are you really willing to dedicate all that extra time to it yeah i don't know anyway i, I have a gripe with with lists <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh, article number two. I bet that's uh, going to be the the topic, <laughs> dude. I have so many. I have so many articles. I'm I'm writing all these individual notes on formulation patterns, oh, and one nice. of the formulation patterns is identify words that are doing the job of images. I think this is oh. also an anti-pattern that people that people employ, where they just if something can be visualized, they just keep it in words anyway because they're not trying to spot the words that are doing the jobs of images so i'm trying to build up these individual formulation patterns in these atomic notes and my hope is then you'll uh, or i'll be able to master this list Mm. and whenever i notice a new idea i'll add another formulation pattern and then just whenever i'm struggling with formulation i'll consult this list and i'll figure out some pattern that works here it's almost like design patterns for code Mm. you know i'll just figure out some pattern that works for this situation and then I'll do it. And then I have I have anti patterns as well that I that I have employed myself, and I see other people employ. So I want to really work on that list. And some of the ideas are stolen from the uh, twenty rules. But yeah, some yeah. of them are new. 
So hopefully the new ones will inspire people to write more about this. I really want people to do some more thinking about this. I, I really want to get better at this myself. I really want to not shy away from any information just because it seems difficult to make good items out of. And I really want to figure out the limit of all the different types of information that can be encoded in atomic items. And I don't feel like we're at that limit yet. I don't feel like people discuss this enough. And I hope that I can keep pumping out these articles and encourage the thinking about this. Very nice. I think that's a good spot to end it. That was really nice. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think so. Very nice. All right. All right. It's uh, Golden Nuggets awesome. Podcast episode five, I think. Six, I think. Six. Six. <laughs> All right. See you guys. All right. See you.